This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The biggest battle we will ever have to face is the battle between you and and you. It's the battle of taking your mind to that limit and then breaking through. On the Mindful Experiment podcast, we will share concepts, universal laws, and interviewing individuals who have done just that, who have gone through the dark times and through those moments allowed their light to shine bright. I'm your host, Dr. Vic Manzo, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and taking this journey with me as we discover different avenues to break through those limits, expand your reality, and evolve into the person you desire to be. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Dr. Vic, and you are listening to The Mindful Experiment. In this episode, it is a part two. So if you have not listened to our part one with Robert Plotkin, please do. That's episode 99. In this episode 101, we go ahead and dive deeper into what really, how can technology be used in a positive standpoint? How does technology help us from a positive perspective? In part one, we kind of dove into how it affects us and distracts us and so much more. But in part two, we go and flip the script here and, and go on the opposite end of it and talk about all the positive effects and what technology is doing to help us be more focused, more centered, conscious, present time consciousness, and so many more amazing things. So if you have not checked out part one, please do so before listening to part two, because it's a beautiful blend of both that puts the whole picture together. So with no further ado, this is part two with Robert Plotkin. 
Well, Robert, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Dr. Vic. I'm really glad to be back. Yeah, I'm happy. I had a, a great time discussing all the fun stuff that you were sharing with the technology and mindfulness and your background in martial arts and all that good stuff that uh, uh, I knew we can go even deeper into a conversation. So I'm really happy that you're here. Yeah, same here. And, you know, I know we talked a little bit last time about uh, how technology can get in our way and distract us and get us stressed out and talked a lot about the, the negatives. And, you know, I, I gave some examples of solutions I found for myself and that other people have, have found useful. And, you know, I, I just want to stress to people, and maybe we can talk more about this today, that there's a lot of ways in which you can use technology in a positive way to promote your focus and productivity and health and well-being and, and general happiness. You know, it's not all doom and gloom. And uh, technology actually can be a tool for helping us uh, just be better and happier. So, you know, I'd love to talk about that. So people people don't come away with the impression, you know, that it, it's all horrible. Uh, I, I love technology. I use it all the time. I've made it my life's work, you know, to work with technology. And I think there's a lot of ways people aren't aware of for how they can use it positively. No, I totally agree. I was reading a, a, a report because, you know, in my background, I'm a chiropractor and I work with a lot of kids. And so screen time and all this stuff that we look at with blue light and, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because the report was actually the opposite. It was talking about how games, uh, you know, if they play games, if they do certain things on the phone, that actually increases hand-eye coordination. So I was like, hmm, never thought of that. You know, for me, I would be, I'm old school. I'm like, the sports will help you get hand-eye yes. coordination. <laughs> but I never thought of it that way. And then also, which was more interesting for me was from a social aspect of kids at their age, you know, they're, they're playing certain games, they, they feel not left out then if they're playing the game compared to not playing it. And I, I didn't, I didn't, I was like, wow, that, that's interesting to have put in that perspective. I'm like that. So there is, I mean, I know there is positives to the technology and all that, but uh, going through those, just reading that stuff, I was kind of like, hmm, this is making me even shift gears a little bit here. Yeah, there's a lot, you know, I think I think because technology can so dominate our lives uh, and, and in recent years, it, it's become imbalanced in, uh, towards the negative. We can tend to focus on that, you know, but there's some really simple things that you can do. Um, you know, I'll give some examples of things that I do uh, in part because I am at a desk using a computer or using my cell phone so much of the time for my business and, and in my personal life. You know, I, I don't have the option to get away from it all the time. Uh, and one thing I've done is use technology to modify my environment to help me stay calm and focused and productive. Very simply, what I mean is uh, use sounds. Uh, there's a lot of great apps out there. I really like one that's not that well-known called Focus at Will. Hmm. It It's interesting. It was co-founded by a... Uh, a musician, Will Henshaw, he was in some 80s uh, pop band and uh, co-founded by him and a neuroscientist. There's a whole team of people who have studied how music can help you stay focused. And one really interesting thing they found is that different types of music and sound work better for different people based on what their personality type and energy level is. Uh, You strike me as a really energetic person, a very high energy person. I know I haven't met you in person, (laughs) but they they said that if you're really high energy, you know, 
many high energy people find high energy music. And that surprised me to be something that helps them stay calm and focused. I'm a little bit more in the middle. You know, I tend to go towards water sounds. Um, but the point is uh, that they provide, you can go, you go into the site and there's a whole variety of music you can choose from, test it out, uh, find what works best for you. And I have it playing in the background very often while I'm working. And it really helps me stay focused. But there's a mindfulness element to it, which is that when you're first trying it, you need to pay attention to what works for you. There's the mindfulness. Listen to it, work, or do whatever else you're doing. And see, oh, is it, pay attention to your own experience and find, is, does this help me uh, feel better or not? I remember, I, I remember speaking to a friend who said she uses bird sounds. And I remember thinking I could never focus for a second listening to birds. <laughs> I agree. I'm with you on that one. <laughs> and there's people who listen to really high energy heavy metal, you know, and they find that that's soothing for them. Um, you know, so you have to find what works for you. But this is something, and there's many other sites. You know, all the meditation apps now, I think, have music. Calm.com and Insight Timer, they all have music options. Some of them are actually music. Some of them are nature sounds, all kinds of, of, of sounds that can help you. Inv- there's, there's tracks for helping you to sleep, to fall asleep in the morning, to get gradually woken up after you get up in the morning. I found this super, super useful and I encourage people to try it. And then just one other example on the same line is, is images. You know, you can set your background screen to be a peaceful nature image, to be a picture of, of your spouse or child or pet or something else that's calming or, or just brings you some happiness or feeling of groundedness. Uh, and a lot of the apps that do sound also provide images as well. I, I, I find those really, really uh, grounding. And I, I think a lot of people don't know about this stuff and I encourage people to check it out. Do you think with like seeing an image that's calming, does it kind of like create a pattern interrupt in your day or just even, even if you're unaware of it because the mind picks up on everything, would it be something that allows you to just, uh, just pattern interrupt from the day? It's just like, Hey, this, this is your peace mode. This is who you love or this is X, Y, Z, whatever it may be. Yeah, I think it's true. Whether you, whether you intentionally turn to it when you're feeling stressed out in order to get grounded or whether, as you said, it's just something that's there constantly in the background, I find that useful. And, you know, conversely, once I started doing these kinds of things, I noticed that if instead I was using the default of whatever my phone had or my desktop computer had, you know, I found, oh, here I am looking at an image, let's say the background of your desktop that has a corporate logo. (laughs) Oh, this isn't something I chose to look at. But by not taking action to change it, I am looking at it constantly, maybe hundreds of times in a day. And it's having an impact on me in some way that I didn't choose and may not, may not necessarily want or find helpful. So it, it's another example of where, you know, uh, using mindfulness can be helpful. Pay attention to what's actually in front of you all the time. You might see something like that logo, but not actually uh, consciously be aware of it. And, but as you said, that doesn't mean it's not having an impact on you. Uh, even, if, even if your response is to just change that to a blank screen, that might be better for you in various ways than, than seeing that corporate logo or some other image 
that's just distracting or annoying to you, even if it's not affirmatively harmful in some way. No, I could totally agree with you there. One of the things I, I share with people a lot, cause you know, people get into, you know, visions and vision boards and all that stuff. And I'm like, if you could put your vision on your, your desktop or your phone or your iPad, I go, even if you don't pay attention to it, your, your, those images are being stored in the brain to attain it. And you can use that type of technology for your benefit in that matter. We don't have to have, I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with having it in the physical hard copy of it, which is great too, but um, um, making it simpler and easier. And imagine how many times are you opening up your phone? How many times, if you use a tablet, how many times are you doing that? Or being on a computer, how many times are you going on it? Um, can definitely uh, be a, a change and shift, shift things. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we know from, from the neuroscience that uh, writing down your goals or intentions and, and looking at them t- repeatedly to bring them to mind has an impact on your mind in the other times when you're not consciously bringing your attention to them. You know, your, your mind is working in the background on, on those things when you um, keep bringing your attention to them periodically. So it's it's super helpful to do that. I, I like the idea of it being on the background screen. You can set it on your phone, on your computer, uh, you know, and that's a little bit more of a subtle way of doing it for yourself than having it pop up as a reminder explicitly. But you can do that, too. I mean, I have done that That'd sometimes, particularly you know, if it's something like a new business goal and it's a, a, a significant new goal that I want to make sure I don't forget, I might actually set it as a reminder to pop up for a week. You know, and that's where you need to set your own balance. You don't want, I don't necessarily want to come up every hour. That's going to be more distracting than it is helpful. And I don't want it to keep coming up forever. But I often do that for, you know, twice a day for a week or something until I feel like I've integrated it enough that I don't need that reminder anymore. But that's a great way. Another just example of how to use technology intentionally and mindfully for your own your own purposes i like that that's pretty cool i'll have to try that out yeah even though i don't like having my phone near me i'll i'll uh, <laughs> I'll, uh I'll, I'll, I'll i'll i'm gonna i'll probably i'll see if i can make a pop-up on my desktop or something <laughs> yeah yeah you know and because i talked last time about how distracting interruptions can be and notifications can be and that is all true but what can often be more harmful about notifications than just the fact that they're happening so frequently is that they're they're showing you messages that are coming in from the outside they might be advertisements uh, or other things that you're not choosing to see but if instead you can flip things around and consciously choose which notifications you're going to get like as a reminder twice a day then you know you're you're taking back power mm-hmm. and control and you're getting notifications they may interrupt you a couple of times a day but it's because you've chosen to have your phone do that for you because you you feel it's something that will be beneficial to you and then of course if you find at some point it's not being helpful you can always then choose to stop it or turn it off or modify it and I love how you bring that up about taking your power, you know, taking the power back. You choose, you create it instead of uh, being at will to the world in a sense. Um, I think that's huge. And I think that that's a game changer. And I think if people just took that simple technique, I think it, it would be a game changer in their life. Totally. Yeah. You know, I, I can understand. I, I hear a lot of this 
now out in the world in response to uh, how distracting and stressful uh, technology can be. I hear a lot of the, I think, instinctive reaction people have is to just turn it all off, you know, to go to that extreme. And I get it. You know, I understand the urge to just say, let's just put it all away or at least put it away, you know, for long periods of time. And that that can be helpful. You know, it may be helpful in the beginning, at least. But what I'm suggesting is then taking that next step, uh, as you said, to take back power, retake control over how those interruptions come so that they're not they're not unwanted anymore. They're things that you've you've chosen and are using for your own your own benefit. I love that. And so we got sound and those types of things. We got the apps out there for technology to help people. Um, how else can technology um, help us overall? And yeah. The positive effects of it. Yeah. You know, I think mm-hmm. you mentioned the social part of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think last time I, I may have talked a bit about the, the potential harms of social media. Those are apparent to all of us now. Yep. Uh, but I think that the the idea of social media and of something like Facebook is is great. You know, it it leverages and appeals to our social nature. There's nothing wrong with uh, turning to technology to connect with other people, friends, family. I mean, I think that something like FaceTime uh, is amazing thing. Yeah, I can speak to friends and family and see them in real time, even if they're halfway around the world, I mean, I think that's just an incredible, incredible thing, you know, that really can help maintain and strengthen real connections between people. I'm not saying do it instead of face-to-face all the time, but, you know, there's just, there there, there are really positive connecting uh, potentials of technology. And some of the apps uh, that uh, like meditation apps, for example, Insight Timer is a good example. In recent years, have really been building in more social features to them, and I think you know, it's, that's a really exciting thing about where meditation and mindfulness technology is heading. You know, tr- if you think back traditionally, mindfulness uh, teaching was done face to face with a student. You know, right there. Uh, in person. And that's how it was done for a very, very long time. Then you had, uh, you know, audio recordings, audio cassettes in the 70s and 80s, albums, that kind of thing, CDs, uh, where the the connection shifted to be a one-on-one, not in person. You know, there might there was still a teacher speaking, but it was pre-recorded. And then you were sitting in your home on your own, uh, not with a group of people sitting in a room, but listening on your own. And, you know, the benefits, and I've spoken to many meditation teachers who are now bringing meditation teaching online, who've who've said, look, it's amazing from the point of view of the student who can be in a remote area, you know, maybe in a city or state or country where there's very little, if any, face-to-face mindfulness teaching available. And now they can get, you know, that, that teaching and guidance from, from a world-class uh, mindfulness teacher, one-on-one in their home. You know, that's just an incredible, amazing thing. It also means that they don't have to travel and pay. I mean, that's something that people did for a long time. You'd travel, uh, you'd pay thousands of dollars to go somewhere for a retreat for a week, 
uh, and you'd get that face-to-face time with a teacher and with other people in the same room. But a couple of drawbacks, very expensive, which means if you didn't have the money, you couldn't get access to it. And once it was done, you went back home and, you know, it was over. Yep. Uh, you know, so, so I, I've spoken to teachers who, who really see the benefit of this. And it's just enabled mindfulness practice to be brought to such a larger number and wide range of people. And if you look, uh, I use Insight Timer as an example because it's a platform where there's hundreds, maybe thousands of teachers on there. I think there's 15,000 guided audio meditations available for free. Mm-hmm. And so another amazing aspect of it is they have all people from all different kinds of traditions, you know, different schools of Buddhism. They have Christian and Jewish uh, meditation. They have all kinds of just purely secular meditation targeted at specific issues like stress and sleep and relationships, death and dying and grief. And so you're, it used to be, even if you did spend that thousands of dollars to go somewhere, you'd get, you know, someone teaching from a specific school or philosophy that might not resonate with you. Uh, and now you have that incredible choice available. And you have the choice over time as you develop to seek out other kinds of, it's just, you know, it's really amazing. And, and Inside Timer isn't the only one who's added social features where you can communicate with other people online through the app about your experience, you know, share insights and challenges and problems and, and all of that. They have courses where you can communicate online with the teacher. So there, there's a growing there are growing efforts and a lot of experimentation to see, try to see how can we connect people together so that this experience of bringing um, bringing meditation from the ashram or the sangha in person to online doesn't have to be an isolating one, where now it's just an individual person sitting in their room. Uh, online, but they may be on their on their own in their room, but they can communicate with and feel connected with other people while they're doing it. I mean, this is in its early stages. I'm sure there'll continue to be a lot of experimentation with it, but I think this is really amazing. I want to mention it for people who haven't tried out any uh, any of these uh, apps or ways of uh, engaging in mindfulness online to know that there are all of these different ways of engaging with it now. I'm with you 100%. And Insight Timer is one that I like to refer out a lot to my patients and then also uh, just from a meditation standpoint. <clears throat> I think it's really, uh, it's really it's come a long way and, and I'm excited to see where it's going. And I think technology, you know, it's one of the things, it lowers the bar for entry so people can have more exposure. And I think, as you were mentioning, it's, I think that's, a, that's huge in so many ways. And being able to be exposed to so many different um, backgrounds, like you were saying, Buddhism or Christian or Jewish, uh, and all those different types, and then finding what works best for you. I think that's just, I think that's the new wave that's starting to happen. It is. And I, you know, one reason I mention it is I think I, I've encountered people, and I can completely understand this, who are hesitant to wade into mindfulness because they feel like it might, you know, push, try to push them into adopting a new religion, you know, that's not theirs, uh, or that they have to drop their religion or, or, or not be true to themselves in some way. And, you know, that might be true in certain places or with certain teachers, but, you know, online, 
the a, a wide variety or eclecticism of it is really incredible. So I encourage people who have that kind of concern to try it out. Uh, you know that you don't have to drop or sacrifice your existing beliefs or values. Uh, in fact, there's just more opportunity than ever to be consistent with who who you are and what you believe and what's important with you while uh, trying out uh, different forms of, of mindfulness online. I love it. I have a question for you on mindfulness. How would you explain to somebody what mindfulness is? Yeah, uh, it's. I'll, I'll give the definition that John Kabat-Zinn is famous for because he took uh, took this from traditional Buddhism, but really secularized it. You know, he, mm-hmm. he gave a, a, a very practical, I think, kind of psychological definition of it that it resonates with a lot of people here in the U.S. and, and the West, uh, which is it's paying attention to your experience from moment to moment intentionally and without judgment. So basically every word in there has some, has some meaning. It sounds simple because it's a short statement. But you can think of it as, um, here I am talking to you. I'm doing it consciously. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm doing it mindfully uh, if I'm not also paying attention to what my experience is intentionally while I'm doing it. You know, lots of us, if you're skilled at something, uh, driving is a good example. You know, you can become really skilled at driving and engage in it automatically. I'm, I'm sure we've all, you've all had the experience. I've certainly had it. You're driving a route that you go in every day to work. You know, you get in the car, you get out and you say, whoa, what, what just happened? I, <laughs> you know, I wasn't really conscious and present during that last 10 minutes of the drive. I know I got here. I know I was turning the wheel, but I really wasn't there. You know, that's an example of being, you were conscious, but you weren't really being mindful. Uh, but to go even a little bit deeper into it, let's say that I'm talking to you and you say something that ticks me off, you know, and I get irritated or angry at it. I might think I'm being mindful because I'm angry uh, and I'm feeling the anger. But mindfulness is being aware of the feeling, not just feeling it. Uh, you know, it would involve being able to step back from just experiencing the anger or expressing it to being able internally to step back and see the anger, maybe even have a conscious awareness. Oh, I'm noticing now that I am angry. Uh, people often talk about taking that, being able to take the posture of an observer of your own experience so that you're not just experiencing it and, and engaging in it automatically but being able to see it from a distance. And that's where the non-judgment also comes in. Uh, we, I'm sure you've had, and I often have had that experience of, uh, okay, you say something, it annoys me, I'm angry. And then the next moment, I have a self-judging, self-judging thought. Robert, why are you so angry? You shouldn't be angry right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're a bad oh, person yeah. for being angry. What's wrong with you? <laughs> why do you get angry so easily? <laughs> you yep. know? That's judgment. And in mindfulness practice, we work on noticing the judgment uh, and trying to step back and practice 
it's as may strike as people haven't uh, worked on as a strange word, non-judgment. Being able to notice the anger, see it as a fact, almost like a sign, as a, if you were a scientist observing, uh, you know, a plant in nature and just trying to see it and understand what it is, honestly and objectively. Uh, you know, if you saw a plant growing, you wouldn't say, oh, what's wrong with that plant for growing so fast? <laughs> you know? yeah. You'd just be able to see it, note it, maybe write down your observations. And that's what we work on in mindfulness practice. Notice your anger, your fear, your happiness, you know, whatever the feeling happens to be. If I'm feeling pain in my knee, oh, that's pain in my knee. Uh, not that's pain in my knee. What's wrong with me? Why am I so weak? Uh, you know, that would be judgment. And there's another element, um, which is sometimes added in, which would be called non-identification, meaning I uh, think of it as being able to see all of these elements of your experience, your thoughts, your bodily sensations, your emotions, uh, without uh, seeing them as defining who you are. Um, maybe it's easiest to get that across with an example. Again, let's turn to the anger. Uh, in addition to judging myself for being angry, I might uh, feel that I am an angry person or that the anger I'm having right now uh, defines who I am. In mindfulness practice, we try to step back from that feeling of anger, see it with, both without judging it and being able to see that it's a feeling I am experiencing now, but that doesn't mean it defines who I am. It, ar it arose, this feeling of anger. It will pass just like all feelings do, just like that pain in my knee, uh, just like maybe the thought I'm having now about what I'm going to eat for lunch. All of these experiences come and go. They, they are experiences that I have, but they don't define who I am as a person. So, you know, I'm going a little bit deeper and peeling the onion away a little bit uh, beyond that, that brief statement of what mindfulness is. But the key thing I'd like to, to, to point out is that to, to develop the uh, ability to engage in the experience in this way uh, just takes a lot of practice and it's ongoing and, you know, unless maybe you were the Buddha, uh, it's going to be an ongoing practice for, for our whole lives, you know, yeah. <laughs> and that's part of where the non-judgment comes in. <laughs> I could say I've been meditating for so many years. Uh, I should be perfect at it now and never engage in self-judgment or identify feeling, well, that's a judgment. And uh, I'll yeah. try to step back from it and recognize I may need to keep working on these things and, quote, fail at many aspects of mindfulness for my whole life. And um, maybe not. Maybe <laughs> I will. Maybe I won't. Uh, that's another aspect of mindfulness is to not prejudge how I might be in the future. You know, I don't know. I'll just keep experiencing things from moment to moment and try to practice these skills and see where it goes. No, it's, it's true. It's even, I think that's the human experience. Like even a master will always say they're still a student. Yes. And it's one of those things where, uh, I, I think as a human, we're always expanding and evolving and there's always, there's infinite levels of where we can go. And so there's, I, I always think, even though it, I think the mistakes get not so, or the, it's not as big as it used to be. 
Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I think that's where, you know, just life and experience helps you in that process. But have you nailed it on the, I think these are the two, one of the two biggest things is self judgment and then non identification. I think that is, uh, critical because I, I know for myself, I'm hard on myself. Uh, I've, I've taken me, I've been working at this for 12 years. I've gotten better, but it's still there. Um, yeah. that judgment likes to come in and, and start criticizing and saying, Oh, look at your not, your value is not here because of X, Y, Z. And it's just like, Whoa, slow down here. <laughs> I'm a work in progress. What are you getting so hard on me for? But you know, uh, I'm not saying I, I'm like that right off the bat, but, um, you know, one of the things, you know, for the listeners and stuff, because I think judgment is something that we all do. I've heard, uh, I've heard stories of individuals saying, imagine if you saw how you treat yourself. If you saw someone else treating someone else, how you treat yourself, what would you say to that person? And I think that's a, a huge thing because we, I think we treat ourselves way worse than how we would treat anyone else. How can we break away that pattern of self-judgment? What are things that we can do from a, either a mindfulness perspective or just in general? What would you recommend? Yeah, so I'm going to credit you know one of the one of the most famous uh, mindfulness teachers in the West, Jack Cornfield. Mm. I, I read one of his books recently, and he gave this uh, great exercise, uh, which is to when you're having one of these self-judging feelings, which we all have, mm-hmm. you know, and you, it, it's, it's an exercise for doing exactly what you said. How can you draw on your capacity to feel more compassion and lack of judgment towards other people than you do for yourself? So the exercise is this, which is you're having that feeling. Picture someone. It could be a real person you know, a mentor of yours, someone, you, a parent, you know, someone you turn to who you feel can be really compassionate and non-judgmental towards you. It could be a fictional, it could be an image of some ideal person you draw up in your mind. It could be a historical figure. It could be Buddha or Jesus or whoever it may be. Picture that person coming into the room with you in that moment. And now just, you might close your eyes and imagine what would that person do or say towards you in that moment? You know, what, what words would they say to you to comfort you or to help encourage or guide you towards non-judgment, towards yourself? And, you know, he steps through a long description of this to help help you through trying to practice this. And, you know, I think it's really, it's really brilliant. Uh, and and he, he says at the end, of course, what this is doing, in the end, it's all your mind going through this exercise, mm-hmm. which means that if you go through this and you find you were able to, quote, successfully uh, experience this other person being non-judging and compassionate towards you in a way that you haven't been able to do for yourself, recognize that you actually did just do this for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> the whole experience just occurred in your own mind but you were able to do it more successfully because you imagined someone else doing it for you. But that that was all you already drawing on what you know how to do in terms of being compassionate and non-judgmental. You just found it easier to access that ability towards yourself by, by basically stepping out of yourself and using this, uh, metaphor or vehicle of an of an imaginary other person to be compassionate towards you because of your own difficulty of just directly doing that for yourself. 
so I, I love that. I love that example. And I would recommend anyone, you know, read or listen to Jack Cornfield's books and, and, and guidance on, on things like this because uh, he has a, has a wealth of knowledge. Let me just give one more example from him, yeah. which draws on what you said earlier about being lifelong uh, uh, pursuit. And I think he has a great sense of humor. And another story he tells is he's uh, guiding a retreat and a student comes to him and says, Jack, you know, I've been meditating for 20 years, some, some huge long amount of time. And I don't feel like I've gotten any more mindful at it in all this time. You know? <laughs> I get distracted all the time. I get judgmental. My emotions get out of control. And here I am practicing all of this stuff that's supposed to make me better at this. And I don't feel like I've made any progress. I'm a horrible meditator. Jack <laughs> yeah, Cornwell says, I said to him, you know, tell me, when you first started, how, what percentage of the day do you feel like you were mindful and really present? And he says, you know, probably 1%, 1% of the time. And he said, okay, now you've meditated every day for 20 years. Now, now how much of the time do you think you're mindful? He said, I don't know, maybe 2 or 3%. And, he's, and Jack Homer said to him, well, look, you know, congratulate yourself. You have doubled or tripled how often you're mindful. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's that's great give yourself credit and you know it's a great story because one it's very compassionate it's non-judgmental there's something very objective and scientific about it you know and but it's also i feel like it's a deep recognition of how hard this all is how much we're up against how everyone, even as you said, the quote masters, you know, still work at this people who've been doing it for many, many years. And so that means for anyone out there, and I try to apply this to my, I have those feelings. Oh, Robert, how many thousands of hours, you know, of you practice this, <laughs> still find yourself, you know, getting wrapped up in emotion or not acting wisely or, or skillfully and forgetting all these lessons that you've, you know, practiced so many times but it's just, it's a way of being able to step back and remember wow this is hard it's if i it's hard for me it's not because there's something wrong with me it's hard for for everyone and i think it's another reason why the you know engaging in mindfulness in whatever form it takes with other people can be really helpful you know if you can do it in a group in a room with people i you know i i'm i'm amazed at the fact that if i'm meditating silently in a room with 20 people, eyes closed, everyone's eyes are closed. Then let's say there's a teacher there who's talking, but most of the time they're silent. There's something that feels incredibly supportive to me about just be having the presence of other people in the room, yes. you know, and I could probably try to come up with a scientific explanation of that. Uh, which may or may not explain all of it. I don't know uh, whether it does. I can say internally, sometimes I feel, you know, while I'm there, oh, just the knowledge that other people are there, even if I don't know what's going on for them in that moment, because I can't see inside of them, the knowledge that they've come there, they've set their intention to work on being mindful at the same time as me. I know they're probably struggling at the same time as I have. They're willing to, in some way, be vulnerable, even though they may not be speaking out loud. Just, just being there with each other is almost making a statement of, I've got things to work on that, you know, I could improve at or that are, are challenging to me and I'm here to work on it. You know, that's like a, an implicit statement of vulnerability to everyone else in the room. I appreciate and, and respect that. 
to me, there's something really powerful about about even being si- maybe maybe even you know specifically being silent together. And to the extent that the online tools are trying in their own way to replicate that, you know, you can go on Insight Timer, and there's a there's a cool feature just shows you how many other people are online meditating at the same time, and you can see how many people in your area, like within a few miles of you, are meditating and. You know, I don't get the same feeling from that as I do from being in the same room with people, but it gives me a little, a little bit of that. There's something very, very powerful, I think, about the knowledge that we're all challenged and trying and making an effort in the same way together. No, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, and I, I agree on the sense too, where there's just a, something about the, the presence of other individuals. Um, cause I've been to a lot of meditation stuff too. And it's, it's, I mean, I can go sometimes deep in a meditation, but when I'm going to a retreat for meditation or anything like that, uh, it is like three, five, tenfold of what I normally experience. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I think that's where there's, you know, cause again, not, we're, we're, we're sticking to the positive side of technology here, but, um, it's one of the things too, like social media and stuff is really good to bring people together, but there is a power about, people coming together and, and being in the same space. There's just something about that. I still can't figure As I said, I can try to be scientific at it. I mean, the research shows social networking with individuals from a presence, a physical presence um, and community and things like that are actually the most beneficial thing for someone's health um, over anything else out there, which is a pretty profound statement, but this is some of the um, studies that are coming out and showing that. And, I think that plays a huge role in a lot of different things. I think that's why a lot of people go to, you know, workshops and seminars and so forth because of the energy that comes there. Yeah, I I like the word energy. You know, this is what, look, my background is in science and technology, um, also in martial arts and mindfulness. And I I think, um, well, I've seen many times over the years where the science has been late to the show, in a sense. It's after the fact, comes up with an explanation scientifically that's consistent with what people in the mindfulness or martial arts world have known for a long time. Yep. That leads me not to become a disbeliever in science, you know, throw away my, my science degree or anything like that, but just to have a little bit of humility about science and what its limits are now and to understand that there may be things that I experience directly in meditation practice or martial arts practice that I feel are true, that I've experienced directly, and that science doesn't currently have an explanation for. That's the way I'd put it. Um, you know, I, I just say that because, look, there's a lot, there's a lot of uh, uh, criticism of science as a whole these days mm-hmm. that I think is really harmful. So I just want to make really clear. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, I'm just saying that uh, there are things like this a feeling of energy or connectedness uh, that I've experienced and I know many people experience when being in a room together meditating where I don't think there's anything inconsistent with that about science. You know, there's nothing that contradicts any of our current scientific understanding, but it's also something that I don't know that science currently has a full explanation of either. No, uh, you know, I, I've, I've no, I've, I've experienced it with martial arts uh, teaching, uh, where I've been in a room in a class, and uh, there is an energy there 
that you would not get from watching a video of the exact same class. Exactly. <laughs> I'm with you on that. Andre. I was going to say, like, it's kind of like listening to a nature sound from... And you can even record the nature sound off your phone. I was in uh, 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 Knoxville and we were hiking through the Smoky Mountains and there was this big, nice waterfall. So I was like, oh my God, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to record this. And I, went, I meditated for about maybe just 10 minutes there and it was so blissful. And so when I got home, I'm like, okay, I know, I already knew in my head, like, I know it's not going to be the same vibration and the frequencies and the energy and all that stuff there because there's so much else around that plays a role in it. I was like, let me just see what happens. And of course, it never, uh, I, I, it's been tough to get that deep into it. But at the same token, it's, uh, that's kind of how I use that analogy. Like you can, you can record all the nature sounds in the world, but, um, but being in the presence of the nature sound with everything else, there's just something different about it. There's something different, you know, again, regardless of whether we have a full scientific explanation of it, uh, intuitively to me, there's something about your entire body and all of its senses and external and internal perceptions of things that all come together in an integrated and holistic way when you're actually physically in the environment and the experience that's different uh, from when you pre-recorded it. Uh, look, I think that, again, to go try to focus on the positives of technology, I, I see a lot of the efforts now as being really positive to use technology to maybe recapture as to an extent possible some of these features of being directly in the experience, even if they can't do it completely. Uh, you know, using video and audio, using live, you know, I know that uh, Center for Mindfulness, for example, has been doing a lot of great experimentation with, with providing an online version of its very famous mindfulness-based stress reduction course. And to give it, when I say online, uh, uh, you, you would meet with the teacher and the other students live for a class once a week in which I believe you see the teacher and you see the other students' faces all on your screen together while, you know, you can interact in real time. Um, is that the same as being in the same room? No, but I admire and respect and appreciate the effort to try to push the boundaries of technology to reintroduce as much of the uh, uh, feature, as many of the features of the live in-person experience as as possible using technology. And again, I'll stress the benefit of look that enables people who let's say live all around the country who couldn't have gotten together in the same room. You know, I have spoken to, to mindfulness teachers who said, uh, despite the drawbacks of just having a screen to see people, they, they've been amazed that having people from different backgrounds, you know, different places in the country, socioeconomic backgrounds, racial, ethnic, you know, that would never be together in the same room otherwise, that brings a dimension uh, to the course that, that adds to it that you wouldn't have had in person. You know, so it's actually, the reality is kind of complicated. <laughs> no, and I, I mean, the thing too is it's better, I, the way I look at it too is like, it's better something than nothing. Um, I know my background's in energy medicine and healing. And so, you know, in, in energy healing, they can, they say it doesn't matter if you're in front of somebody or away from someone, you get still the same benefits. And from a personal standpoint, I've experienced both. I've had... Mm -hmm. People work on me, whether 
doing energy healing and clearing my energy and all that good stuff and making sure everything's smooth, you know, good. And uh, I get that, but then I still get the same kind of effects when I get it remotely done. Mm. And I think technology is coming around I me mean, with a video. Just think about, you know, they say what a, uh, I used to teach this um, years ago in my community um, about video marketing. And I would tell people, what is it? a picture is worth what a thousand words. <laughs> and they say a video is worth over a million words. And, and I, and I say, you can still, you get to see the person's personality, their tone, body language. There's so much more to it that you get more of the person's, let's say, quote unquote, energy or the presence of who they are. And I, I think it's, it's coming around with Facebook live and things like that, or people doing more live stuff. Um, I think that's going to be a game changer and, and try to recreate it as much as you can. But, uh, I'll always say it's, it's, it's just like listening to the, the sounds of nature. You, if you still get calm, there's still a peacefulness to it and all that great stuff. Um, but there's always just that little extra power when we're in nature itself. Yeah, that's right. And so, I, yes. And, and I think that one of the ways to look at this is that um, it's not like a, that the choice is between in-person and using technology. Right. Yeah. With the, the, where we end up will probably be some mixture of things that will keep evolving that will be different for different people over time. You know, I think of um, I think of natural evolution as an example. Uh, you know, people often think of something like survival of the fittest as involving one species replacing another. But you know what? We've still got mice and alligators and, <laughs> you know, the things that evolved hundreds of millions of years apart from each other co continue to coexist on the same planet in, in many different ways in different environments. The story of evolution is, is very, it, it's much more rare for something new to come along and then completely displ displace another species than it is for there just to be some new equilibrium between them. Um, let, let's even just take a simple example with technology, with writing. I do a lot of writing. Um, people, when, uh, when PCs came along, said, you know, that was gonna that's how everyone was going to write, was at their desk. Well, you know what? It's not true. Uh, people write at a computer. People write at a tablet. I use a mix of many different things. I write on using pen and paper sometimes, as high tech as I am. Mm -hmm. I, do, I, I, I dictate things using audio. And I vary between all of these different modes of writing, depending on what's convenient at the moment, what type of writing I'm doing, where I happen to be, what's available to me. You know, to me, that's the same as, as the alligator and the, the mouse and the elephant all coexisting with each other. Uh, and if you step at the same thing with reading, right, ebooks are going to replace books. And for a while, it looked like things were going in that direction. And now they've slid back again. And we find that people are reading using all kinds of devices, using paper books. I mean, magazines are coming back. It's very hard to predict. But the one thing is that it's very, very common for lots of different technologies and ways of interacting with each other to end up coexisting with each other. It's not either or or all or nothing. And I, and I say that in part to encourage people in their individual lives to remember that, step back and be mindful of it and think, oh, you know, I have the, I have a lot of options available to me and I can make a choice about how, when, where, and why to engage in mindfulness or in my work or in my relationships with other people 
both directly without any technology or using technology in any way, I actually have options and power and choice. I love that. I agree with you 100% on it. Couldn't, couldn't say any more on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true, though. I mean, it is all about, and that's what I love about technology. It, it opens that door to allowing individuals to have a choice to choose what it is and, and, and lowering the bar to get more exposure and to allow people. I mean, hell, I couldn't do what I'm doing right now with the reach I have with my podcast and the same thing with what you do on your podcast and everything you're doing um, without technology and, and being able to reach and extend out even further. Yeah. And, and, and it's just, I'm so grateful for it. You know, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to speak to you here, which as I said, I would never really be able to do without technology on my own podcast. I mean, I've, I've interviewed and spoken to the greatest <laughs> experts from so many different fields, literally all around the world. You know, how would I have had an opportunity to do that uh, without technology? I'm grateful to the people who, who then come and listen to me, you know, who find value in what I have to say. They have a free choice uh, to do that or not. Uh, just, just incredible. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really glad we're focusing on the positive <laughs> you know, uh, again, because it's, it is, it is helpful when the negatives of technology can be so present in our mind. You know, you're at the end of the day and you're, you're just, you're feeling down, you're feeling maybe empty or, or stressed out or depressed, or you encountered something negative online that's disturbing you, you know, it it can, it can tend to dominate us and and lead us to, uh, in our own minds, overemphasize the negatives. Uh, And, you know, I think it's, I think we're just culturally at a point now, it feels to me like we're, we're starting to take that control back collectively to think about how can we steer our use of technology and even uh, the way that technology is designed and deployed in a way that is to our benefit again after you know the last 10 or 15 years of feeling like it was foisted on us in a way to control us so much. No, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I, I uh, I think that's a huge, huge thing and a huge part of it. So it's going to be, I'm glad we're able to turn the page on uh, technology here on this uh, part two. Yeah, this is great. Thanks. Thanks so much for suggesting it and for having me back. <laughs> oh, no worries. So uh, just a recap again, Robert, how can everyone get a hold of you and connect with you and, and so forth? Yeah. The easiest way is always through technologyformindfulness.com. That's the website. You go there for the blog, uh, for links to all the podcast episodes, and to our Tap into Mindfulness course, which we talked about last time. That's an online course which teaches people exercises for developing new habits, for taking back control over how they use their smartphone and using it mindfully. You get to everything through technologyformindfulness.com. I love it. And people will have all this information on the show notes there for that. Um, Robert, greatly appreciate you having me back on. It was a lot of fun having you here and uh, really uh, just diving deeper into the positive side of it. Thanks so much, Dr. Vic. This, this is really great fun. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For past shows, please visit www.empoweryourreality.com. I hope this show inspired you and added to your life to help you on the journey to rediscover who you really are. To connect with us on Facebook, please visit www.facebook.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. 
Check us out on Twitter. The handle is DrVic21. Follow us on Instagram, www.instagram.com forward slash DrVicManzo. If you were inspired by the podcast, pay it forward by sharing it with someone who you know can benefit from it. Thank you again for listening to the Mindful Experiment podcast, sharing paths to help you rediscover your infinite potential. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. And until next time, keep rocking and rolling.